The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning are two guests. My first guest is Dr. Eva Quinar. She's an endocrinologist, a metabolic medicine specialist, and an internist practicing in Beverly Hills and is on the faculty at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. You've seen her on the doctor's Dr. Phil, Celebrity Fit Club, and even the Jimmy Kimmel Live Show. She is the expert and has written uh, a new book called Overcoming, Overcome Fatigue, Boost Your Energy, Revitalize Yourself. And this is a new book, uh, an eight-step program for putting zest back into the lives of women. And we need to hear all about that. Actually, she has eight steps in order to do that. Increase your energy in eight easy steps. She's going to be my first guest. My second guest is... Uh, Dr. Carl Rogers, he's not a medical doctor, he's a Ph.D., and he is a professor of philosophy and a co-founder and director of the John Dewey Center for Democracy and Education, which is affiliated with the Institute of Advanced Study, University of Minnesota, Minneapolis, and his new book is called Debunking Glenn Beck, Debunking Glenn Beck, How to Save America from Media Pundits and Propagandists. But first, we have Dr. Queenar, author of Overcome Fatigue, Boost Your Energy, Revitalize Your Life, The Fatigue Solution. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Doctor. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. But actually, the title of my book is The Fatigue Solution. Right. And I've got, I've got all this. I ended up at the end. I realized I've been describing the book, but I didn't actually tell you the name of the book, The Fatigue Solution. Let's make that clear. Increase your energy in eight easy steps. That's the title of the book. Thank okay. you. Thank now you. we can get started. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I'm reading your book. I have it right here in front of me, and I'm thinking, and of course I think I fit into some of these categories. Uh, you know, women seem to be, I don't care whether you're 20, 40, 60, or 80, we're, we're always tired and exhausted and, and complaining about fatigue. Um, of course, and this is what your book talks about, women at all different ages. There's a reason for this. What's the reason? Why are we always so tired? Well, first of all, I wrote this book because for my practice, fatigue is the number one complaint I hear from my patients. It doesn't matter what they're coming in for. Fatigue is always in their list. It's also the number one complaint I hear from the general public. You know, whisper the words, I'm tired, and everybody in the room can relate to that. Um, and I decided to write the book to deliver this message to more people than I can possibly see in my practice. The solutions in the book are designed for everyone. Uh, but the reason I actually started this interest in fatigue was because I was getting angry when I saw my patients after they visited their doctors, and they would say, you know, well, what do you expect? You've got children, you've got work, you've got the house, you've got to take care of your husband, you're getting older. It's a function of age and lifestyle. And I'm here to say that's simply not true. This book is about empowering women. It's also my story for the masses because 
I was one of those women who literally could not get out of bed in the morning, yet I had a practice, I had my children, I had my husband. There were things I wanted to live the way I wanted to live, and I was way too young to, to just not have full direction in my life. Right, so I want to stop you there because how young were you? You were in your 20s, your 30s, probably in your 30s as you're describing. You have I was in my, it was after the birth of my second child. So I was actually 41. 41 where I just, I was getting sick all the time. And I personally had gone from doctor to doctor. And I'm a physician, so I knew the best. And one doctor would send me to the next because he didn't know it was wrong, that we send me to labs and x-rays. And finally, I, I needed to take my health under my own control, and I started looking at herbalists and acupuncturists and tests that weren't necessarily standardized in a medical practice. Still FDA approved, but hard to get, and, and those were the tests that answered my questions. So this book is designed to... to help people understand what they're doing in their own environment that they can change, but also to ask the right questions for their physicians because there may be a hormonal problem involved here. Right, let's start with that because I think you, you, you really said the key words, knowing what to ask, asking the right question. And I think that's a problem for a lot of us when we go to whom, you know, we think we're going to the best medical practice and we may go from one to the next, as you described what you did, and it's just, but... We don't know the questions to ask, so the tests come back and they say, well, you're fine, you're, in with the, you're within the normal range and it's your lifestyle because you're just doing too much, so go home and relax and, and uh, you know, go out on a date with your husband. Seriously, that's the kind of response sometimes you get. But you're saying, okay, that, there are certain questions to ask your physicians. You are feeling tired, you are fatigued. What do, let's go through those specifically. Okay, okay. Um, well, let's talk about your thyroid because... Uh, the diagnosis of hypothyroidism in America is in the millions. And there's probably even millions more that have never been diagnosed. So if you're low energy, if you're putting on weight, if your skin is starting to get dry, if your hair is falling out, if you're constipated, if you have no more urge to have intimacy with, with your partner, you've got to start looking at thyroid. Um, and when you're talking about laboratory results, a physician can't just look at what is considered normal and that and abnormal because several years ago we have changed and made the criteria much broader. So we're missing um, about 50% of people who should be diagnosed as hypothyroidism. So it's not just a screening test. It's not just a typical TSH that needs to be done, thyroid-stimulating hormone. But you really need to ask for the T4, the T3, and antibodies. And then you really need to insist that that doctor gets behind your neck and palpates your thyroid, you know, because it's amazing to me how many women I will, I will examine and I, I go behind their neck almost like I'm choking them. They're like, what are you doing? I said, didn't anybody ever check your thyroid? They're like, I don't even know what it is. So, again, this book is about educating you about your own body in a very simple, non-medical terminology, and, and it's something that empowers you to go in, and you need to demand health. You cannot sit there and go, my doctor said I'm just aging. There is a reason why you're feeling like that, and it's not just age. You know, I, 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 totally, I so agree with you, and at the same time, as a consumer, as a patient, Every time I go in, I feel like it's such a struggle. I have to be, I mean, I want to be in charge of my own medical, my own, you know, my own health, but boy, I'd like to go in there and have someone just take care of me and, and 
know to do exactly what you described. I'm, I'm going in, I'm having my checkup, I'm saying I'm exhausted. Can't they just know that they have to check my thyroid? <laughs> well, I think also if you're not getting results from an internist, look, your primary care, your internist, they're treating colds and flus and diarrhea and headaches, you know, doing general checkups, looking at your cholesterol, you may need to seek out an endocrinologist. So, first of all, most people, when I say I'm an endocrinologist, they have no idea what that means. An endocrinologist is the study of hormones. I mean, it is a subspecialty. I trained at NYU. took me twice as long to, to get my degree for endocrinology. But it is specific to the glands, you know, your sex hormones, your pancreas, your adrenal glands, which are huge when it comes to energy, um, pituitary, prolactin, which is what makes you lactate. So, so maybe if you're not getting the answers from your primary care, ask them to refer you to an endocrinologist. And that person will be a little bit more knowledgeable about what your symptoms may be resulting in. So... We have to, first of all, you have to know what an endocrinologist is, as you say. We have to, to be able to ask those kinds of questions. But I think one of the things that's important to mention is that people, most people, not only don't know what an endocrinologist is, Dr. Queenar, but they don't realize that we are just, uh, our, you know, I don't know if it's particularly women, but we're governed by our hormones. That's it. I mean, we, we every, are. I mean, yeah. it's when you, when you look at the function of life, you know, we can't procreate without hormones. I mean, that is our purpose. And yet, I think one of the reasons people don't know that we exist is there's only 2,400 practicing adult endocrinologists across the United States. And unless you're in a really large city, you may not have access to them, which is another reason why I wrote this book, because in the final chapter, there are the tests that you specifically have to ask your doctor for if you have certain symptoms. And you described the symptoms initially, and we're talking, okay, well, you've given one example that's in the book and, you know, the eight different things that we need to be concerned about. One of them is definitely have your thyroid checked, and if your internist can't do it, then you need to go to a specialist, an endocrinologist like yourself. Only 2,400 in the United States, that's surprising. But, okay, what else do we do? We're tired, we're exhausted, we go see our internist. Um, what, what, what else do we have to be aware of as women? Well, as women, we have to look at our female hormones. You know, whether we're PMSing, whether we're premenopause, whether we're in menopause, we need to con- take control of our hormones. And once again, there are a lot of antidotes that we can do for that. First of all, you need to get tested. Whether, again, it's your primary care or your gynecologist or, or your, um, well, or your endocrinologist. Those need to be tested. And once you've established where you are, if, there's, if there are any imbalances, those can either be treated with lifestyle changes or with medication or with herbs or with things like acupuncture or yoga. We really need to establish that diagnosis. But, but hormones play havoc in, in our day-to-day life. Well, now, can it be a combination, Dr. Queenar, can it be a combination of all of those things? It doesn't have to be drugs or lifestyle or... Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I prefer to do things naturally rather than be placed on a medication. But what I find is that women are so exhausted. The way I practice is I usually put them on a hormone to get them stabilized so that they can actually think clearer to make that lifestyle change, to make that lifestyle change. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit and talk about sex as it relates to female hormones. Yeah, because so I think most you have of any us, statistics. What? I, before I was, I, you know, I read your book and 
I was wondering, do you have any stats? Because I don't think they're too good about whether it's your partner or your husband or whomever it is. Uh, Americans don't do well on the sex scale. I mean, they, I mean, people who are together, partners, have sex. You know, once a once a month, once every two weeks. I mean, there's a reason right. for that. Sex is, by definition, an asexual marriage is having sex ten or less times in a year. Um, and sex is so very important for for all levels of our body, not not just because of energy, but this is an energy book. So sex helps burn calories. It helps with oxygenation. It helps promote cardiovascular sex, uh, cardiovascular health. It boosts immunity. Um, it relieves depression and stress. It optimizes fertility. The more, you know, the more sex you have, the chances are you're going to get pregnant easier. But what surprises a lot of people is that actually sex can relieve menstrual cramps. I see so many women who forget about the fatigue. They're in pain during their menstrual cycle. And having sex, there's been tons of studies um, reporting that the more sex you have during the period that you're having your period, you actually eliminate that, that pain and cramping during sex. Your flow actually becomes less. Even, you know, the whole joke of don't have sex, not tonight, dear, I've got a headache. Well, sex actually relieves headaches. It doesn't promote it. So if you have a headache and you have sex, you're going to feel better. You're going to, that headache should go away. Then but you know I what, think, Doctor? Uh, you need to talk to some of these politicians because I think they're going down the wrong track, aren't they? For <laughs> 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 us ladies, I mean, <laughs> we're getting that's, the that's very message. True. I don't want to get into politics, but boy, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and it, it obviously it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, when you're, it, it's interesting. Um, what about? And I was thinking about this because you think about the aging population and people who are left without partners and and are single people or even older people in their 60s and 70s who perhaps don't have the same kinds of opportunities to have sex, do you think that women, we'll stick with women, do you think that maybe the reason that they, they age and they don't feel well and they get depressed is because they're not having sex on a regular basis and what can you do about it? Well, remember, I practice in Beverly Hills. My yeah. elderly women, and I'm going to say the dirty word, they do masturbate. They pleasure themselves. Which is a good and thing. Yes, yes. It's a healthy, it, it keeps... It keeps the, the, the organs lubricated and vital. You know, you don't literally dry up as much. Um, and it keeps their minds clearer. We know that orgasm, for instance, it releases a lot of neurotransmitters that are so very important for brain function. Um, and in the book as well, I, I say that don't wait until the nighttime to be intimate, with, whether it's with yourself or with a partner. Uh, you should do it in the morning because that's where our hormones are strongest. So our hormones, we're, we're animals. We, we, our hormones go in patterns, and we want to really boost our energy in the morning. And then in the afternoon, it comes down a little bit, and then in the mid-afternoon, our hormones start to peak. But in our culture, our heads are on the table by late morning, early afternoon. I mean, we have hit the wall. We need our coffee. So by having sex in the morning, we actually can can promote the longevity of our energy throughout the day. It's so a good what we're thing. doing also, as a culture, probably, because I think there is this kind of I don't know where it comes from that you you know you put the kids to bed or you both of you come home from work or wherever you come from and you're going to have sex at night and candlelight and intimacy when that really first isn't 
doesn't make sense physiologically because we're much better Women off don't do sex. that. Yeah. I, I don't know how many how, Do you have friends that will, you know, have dinner by the candlelight after the kids are done? We will make any excuse. We will fold the laundry. We'll clean up in the kitchen. We're just hoping that our that our spouses, partners pass out before you turn the age. And we kind of tiptoe into bed, and we're like, okay, we're safe. Yeah. But if you have it in the morning, you're regenerized, you're rejuvenated, you're, you have, and let's face it, you know, sex doesn't last more than a few minutes when you get to a certain age, okay? So you don't yeah. have to take that much time out of your life. Yeah. You know, you wake up a few minutes early. It, it bonds you to your partner emotionally as well. It puts a smile. They love you more. They think about, wow, what did we just do in the morning? You know, so so that's where I encourage it. But for two, from an emotional point of view, but also from a neurotransmitter through the brain. This is evidence-based medicine. I just want to be clear. These aren't things I'm making up because I think they sound logical. These things have been studied over and over with tens of thousands of women, and we know this to be fact. Well, if you go to any, how about this one then? You go to and and uh, uh, you go to any gym in the morning, let's say before work. At five, not that I go then, but I, my partner boyfriend, he used to go at five or seven. And that's o'clock a good the, time to go. Well, but he would go, but it's packed with all these young women and young men. And I actually used to say, wouldn't they be better off staying in bed with their partners rather than racing to the gym when it's dark out at five o'clock in the morning and trying to get all that energy off? Am I, you know? Well, or- no, I think that's. I mean, you get a, a very good amount of calorie burn and cardiovascular. You know, if, if that happens. And again, exercise, whichever type of exercise you choose, is optimal early in the morning. One of the problems that I see that leads to fatigue is people can't sleep at night. But when I question them, that's really when their activity starts, is after they get home from work. If they're going to do any exercise, that's usually when they find the time to do it. But that's also when your cortisol levels, when your adrenal levels are supposed to start mellowing out. So I do encourage any kind of exercise, whether it be sex, whether it be going on the treadmill, to be in the morning. Okay, good advice. And, and uh, I think that's something that uh, many women were not or are not aware of. So, um, And you can find, you know, when you get the book, and I'm going to mention the book again because I confused it in the beginning. So I want everybody to know we're talking about the fatigue solution, increasing your energy in eight easy steps. And I am talking to Dr. Queenar, Dr. Eva Queenar. So... Um, all right, let's go on. What else? What else should we be, you know, okay, we need to have sex, we need to have exercise, we need to first diagnose ourselves correctly, get our thyroid checked. What else do we need to do in order to boost our energy levels? We need to eat for energy. And let me be perfectly clear here. There's a lot of us who eat well. I have a lot of people who come in, I don't eat a lot, I eat organic, I exercise, I sleep. But all those things are not necessarily the right way to do it for energy. Protein is a really big entity in our bodies. We have a pancreas. We produce insulin. Insulin then causes our adrenal glands to go up and down and therefore messing up our metabolism. I know too many people who will say, I eat steel oats for breakfast, oats, and then I'll grab some berries and I'm out the door. That's a carbohydrate. So what it will do to you is you'll get an immediate boost of energy, and that's when you're going to crash and burn a few hours later because your body can't sustain the hormones to keep you going. So I recommend protein in the morning. I recommend protein with every meal. You know, there's a lot of my patients will also say, well, I'll eat salad for lunch. 
Well, what's in your salad? Well, you know, vegetables. I'm like, well, where's your protein? Again, cutting back and eating organic and eating healthy and eating for vitamins is very different than eating for energy. And in my book, I show you how to eat. And then we have a chapter on menus, really quick, really easy, so that you get an understanding of what to do. The other thing that really um, I have a problem with for women is we have an overabundance of soy. Soy is an estrogen. Um, soy can wreak havoc with your other hormones, especially if your hormones are imbalanced to begin with. Soy has a lot of contaminants. A lot of fertilizer goes in it. Um, so a lot of pesticides. I think uh, the last time I looked this up, soy had the second greatest amount of pesticide of any food in the United States. When you, when you say soy, does that, doctor, does that include hummus? Is, I mean, hummus has a lot of soy in it. No, Would that's that chickpea. Include? Hummus is chickpea. Oh, so that's, okay. No, I'm talking about edamame. I'm talking about okay. tofu. And again, soy is almost, if you look at any ingredient in your, in your cupboard right now, almost every ingredient will say soy lecithin. And again, you can't avoid that. I mean, it is used in a preservative. But don't add to it. Don't have a soy latte. You know, use, use almond milk, you know, if, if you can't tolerate whole milk. But I actually like whole milk because, again, whole milk has more protein. Yes, it has a little bit of fat, but at least you're not loading a non-fat or a skim milk with, a, with, with more carbs. It has to have something. So if you're not having protein or fat, it's a carb. And we've got such a propensity to become, if not diabetic, at least insulin resistant. And that in itself has a huge relationship with fatigue. So another thing that you may want to check with your doctor is have them do a fasting insulin level. Doesn't mean you're a diabetic, but you have insulin resistance. I have, you know, uh, one of the things that you said, you know, you eat, you should eat milk and eggs and red meat, which is one of these things that, you know, there's been this kind of, I don't know where we get it from, the, the media, I guess. You're not supposed to eat that. It's not good for you. And uh, I have a mother who, and I'm going to say how old she is because she, she always listens to the show, but I hope she doesn't get mad at me. But, I mean, she's close to 90. And wow. she kind of, And I have to tell you, the things that you talk about in your book is exactly how she's lived her life. A right. little bit. And it's, yeah. and it's healthy. And I'll... I mean, we don't have time, but there is a reason why we've gotten away from, from the protein or the meats, and that has to do with the idea of cholesterol. But we have found now that there's more cardiac disease and more diabetes and more stroke and more illness because we've switched to a high-carb, low-protein low diet. And as long as you're eating lean meats, you know, preferably organics, although I know that they can be more expensive, so you just have to shop around, it's really disease prevention. And as, you know, people say to me, just in one word, in one sweep, what do you suggest I eat? And my explanation is ask your grandmother what her grandmother used to eat, and that's usually the right thing. Those and that's things what I'm talking stayed. about with my mother, exactly what you're yeah. eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember making fun of my friends for having to eat, like, cod liver oil. I was like, what, is your mother crazy? And yet all the studies show that all those fish oils are brilliant for you. So there's, there's, you know, if something lasts for generations upon generations, there's usually a reason for it. Can you talk to us about weight? Because, you know, I'm, you know we're discussing all of this in the context of, of women and women's bodies. But if you're looking at women's bodies and uh, we are 50% are, I mean, are overweight and another whatever are obese. And I, I mentioned this on my show at least every other week because I'm, I just hone in on this obesity thing. How does that fit into this picture? I mean, if you're so overweight 
And look, I'm if you're not, tired, I am it, it, it's a catch-22. If you're tired, you're not going to move, you're going to put on weight. If you're already overweight because of a hormonal imbalance, the same thing is going to happen. You're going to get even more overweight because your hormones aren't balanced, and you can't get yourself out of that situation to exercise, to eat right. So, again, I think it's really important to establish, even when your doctor says there's nothing wrong, you know there's nothing wrong. I get so angry when I see a patient who says, my doctor tells me I should eat less. Well, I do a calorie count on them. We have machines to be able to see exactly how many calories a day a person's eating, so they can't cheat. It's not like, you know, we always think we eat less than what we actually do, uh-huh. and, and they're not. They're doing the right thing, and yet they're not losing weight. You have to do tests. You have to find out what the bottom line is for that. But exercise is an integral portion of your life. And, you know, a lot of women don't feel comfortable going to the gym. You know, they they'd rather, they feel like they're in a nudist colony walking in there with, like you said, in the morning there's all these young, beautiful women and men and they're exercising. And, <laughs> you know, it's, they're, they're not comfortable. And I say, you know, even if you turn on the music, I actually told this to my teenage daughter. She was like, I'm too tired to work out today. I'm like, you know what, go upstairs, put on your music, dance for 20 minutes. Just dance. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, you're doing it by yourself. Nobody's judging you. Just start moving. And you're doing it, I think, the other piece of that. You said for 20 minutes. I think sometimes uh, many of us will think, well, I have to exercise for an hour. It has to be an hour and a half. You know, 20 minutes of exercise is far better than no exercise. Go up in your room, dance, turn on the music, and have fun for 20 minutes. That's okay. I actually discourage exercise for an hour because, again, you know, evidence-based medicine I see where people who exercise over an hour actually start burning out their adrenal glands. And everybody needs to learn what the adrenal glands are. They're two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys that are responsible for DHEA, a little bit of testosterone, some cortisol, norepinephrine, epinephrine. So too much of that activity is going to really crash and burn those glands as well. So you have to just exercise. And burst training is fantastic. So it's actually... You will, you know, really move, even if you're dancing. You really move fast, and then you slow dance. The the amount of time for recovery, say you're exercising really hard, you should be doing it for like a minute and a half, and then three minutes of just slowing down, and then bursting again for a minute and a half, and slowing down. I mean, even when you go to a wedding or a party and and there's a band and music, you'll see they'll do, you know, a few fast songs, a few slow songs and fast. and It's the way our bodies can really control ourselves. It makes sense. Yeah, so there's a rhythm to this whole thing. There is, It's and, and it's simple, and it's something that can be incorporated into everybody's life, everybody's life. And I think anybody who's read this book has said to me, oh, my God, I wanted to cry. I saw myself in every single chapter of your book because it's a problem throughout America. Every woman has that, you know. Um, I I remember being in a jacuzzi once at a, you know, up in the mountains, and I overheard all these women talk about they don't have a libido, they don't want to have sex, you know, we go back to the sex thing. But I sat there and I said, oh, my God, but... There, there are options to increase your libido because we just talked about having it and in the morning, but what's going to motivate us? You know, the, the standard of care 
uh, at least in my community now, is if you're no longer in childbearing age, we actually put women on a little bit of topical testosterone. And it, it just opens their brain. They get they get really horny. I get flowers from their husbands <laughs> saying thank you. But it's also the most potent natural antidepressant we have in our body. So overall, you know, testosterone is phenomenal. So that's another test. You can ask your doctor to have your testosterone tested. And then layer on some. You never want to take it orally. But topically, it's, it's virtually without side effects. So, you know, we've always thought testosterone for men. But that's one thing. If you're scared of testosterone, there are other herbs, which I mention in the book, that you can also go to. But nothing is as powerful as, as really taking, you know, the bioidenticals, the Suzanne Summers idea. But that, that is actually in a very authentic solution. Very interesting because I didn't realize that there was a testosterone cure. And, and, and we'll kind of, I think we're going to have to say goodbye on that note. But the book we've been talking about is The Fatigue Solution. The Fatigue Solution Increase Your Energy in Eight Easy Steps by Eva Quinar, MD. Great book, ladies. Go out and get it. Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. And Dr. Quinar, is there a website that we can go to? Yes, you can go to dreva.com. Or you can go to thefatiguesolution.com. Great. Great talking to you today. Thank and, you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank we you. We are Bye-bye. going to take a short break, so we don't want you to go away because uh, our second guest is coming up. And uh, the title of his book is Debunking Glenn Beck, How to Save America from Media Pundits and Propagandists. And uh, the author of that book is Dr. Carl Rogers, Ph.D. So he'll be with us in a few minutes. I'm Catherine Zox. You are a social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We all want to be happy, but consider that conventional thinking is what got us where we are now. The good news is there's so much more to know that can give us a new and higher perspective. Tune in to A New View of Life with host Kathy Kirk as we unlock the conversational gridlock in America by exploring new ideas and new information on every aspect of life which is needed to move us not just forward but upward. A New View of Life airs live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you struggling to find hope in the middle of adversity? How confident are you in dealing with your life challenges? Do you realize you have the ability to overcome your obstacles? You'll want to tune in to Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities. Louise will speak to inspiring guests who have helped others or managed to overcome the roadblocks that stood in the way of their life's success. Louise Cohen's Changing Obstacles into New Possibilities broadcasts live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. 
The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, a social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. Uh, my guest, my second guest today is the author of Debunking Glenn Beck. How to Save America from Media Pundits and Propagandists. And uh, the author of that book is Dr. Carl Rogers, Ph.D. And Dr. Rogers is a professor of philosophy and a co-founder and director of the John Dewey Center for Democracy and Education, which is affiliated with the Institute of Advanced Study at the University of Minnesota. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Rogers. Uh, good morning. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to have you on the show. Okay, debunking Glenn Beck, How to Save America from Media Pundits and Propagandists. Uh, talk to us about the book. Why did you write this book? It's very timely, obviously, uh, and especially, I think, during this election. Uh, we, there are a lot of parallels between, I think, uh, Glenn Beck and, and a lot of the political pundits that we're listening to on the media right now. So w- tell us, why write this book? Well, uh, originally I, I wrote the book because uh, as, a, as a book for uh, college students where I would, uh, each chapter has uh, uh, various contemporary issues of the day ranging from the Constitution, Second Amendment, up to health care. And, uh, and, and I thought it would be, uh, you know, Glenn Beck's a well-known figure and I thought it would be a good opportunity to start, uh, uh, to use the book to start seminar debates on particular topics. Can and I stop you, uh, Dr. Rogers? Can I stop you? Are you on a, uh, a speakerphone? Uh, uh, no. Oh, okay, because there's a little bit of an echo there, but uh, go on. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But, okay. uh, the, uh, the, 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 can you hear me clearly, though? I can hear you clearly, yeah. Uh, okay, and but the thing is, that as a result of researching uh, the book, I, um, I, I listened to hundreds of hours and watched hundreds of hours of uh, Glenn Beck's radio and uh, television show and and uh, read his uh, his books, uh, and uh, and as a result of doing this, I, uh, the book kind of evolved into a book calling for media reform. It's actually the book actually turns out that it's not really about Glenn Beck, um, even though I point out lots of falsehoods and uh, use Glenn Beck as an example of a of a propagandist and point all this out in the book. The book is itself is a uh, is about the need for media reform and how Americans can go about achieving it. Yeah. Okay, because Glenn Beck, as you say, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, you use Glenn Beck as a jumping off point. He's a controversial figure. He's a successful businessman. He's what, he's a, to me, he sounds like a preacher. Um, and, but he has a huge following, millions of people. And, uh, a lot of, uh, he's a, a figure in America, sort of, I, he's similar, I guess, to Rush Limbaugh. Um, and has a lot of uh, power, I guess. I mean, in in terms of the, the message that he that he proposes. And um, although I guess he's no longer on Fox, is he? He's his show that he had on Fox for many years is no. Yeah, that's right. The, the Fox Council, Fox Council show. Yes, he, he's now become an online televangelist. Um, I haven't I haven't really followed his uh, career uh, on the internet. Uh, but and the book really um, the book ends. When uh, Glenn Beck's career on uh, Fox News ended, uh, the book's largely about corporate media. 
Right. So let, let's talk about that. Why do we have to? What What is the media's responsibility to uh, uh, people like Glenn Beck um, as a controversial figure, as somebody who you know this kind of conservative ranting and raving, as I see it, and there's really no uh, you know substantial. Uh, evidence behind what he says, um, and I think we have a lot of Glenn Becks out there right now. And you're saying that the what mainstream media needs to respond to this. We have a responsibility not to to what? What do we do? Oh, um, the thing is, is that uh, oh, basically, I mean, I'm I'm a, a, a big advocate of the First Amendment, so um, I believe in countering free speech with free speech. So I'm not suggesting that uh, anybody does anything with Glenn Beck, um, apart from do what I did, which is point out his falsehoods, and write it, uh, you know, and, uh, but, the, but the thing is, is, what I'm actually calling for is more media. So um, what, I, what I would like to see, and what I argue for in the book, is a large gro- outgrowth of uh, public media to counterbalance um, the domination of media by corporate media. All right. Let's be more specific. So I actually advocate uh, democratic media, and uh, um, so this the, the book is li- uh, largely points uh, towards uh, defending net neutrality, um, defending uh, public media, and uh, exp- explaining um, the importance of both of these. All right. Well, let's then let's define those for those who are not in academia. These are not your students or other fellow professors. Uh, just for us, the lay public because I think this is really an important topic. What is corporate media? What is democratic media? And how do they fit together? Okay. Well, let's start with net neutrality. Uh, there's, there's been a, a lot of hype talked about net neutrality, um, but uh, the uh, net neutrality itself is a very simple principle um, that was built into the Internet when it was invented. Um, the uh, net neutrality is basically the principle that all data is treated equally. And so um, no one, uh, no corporation, no government controls the Internet. The content of the Internet is controlled by all of the users of the Internet. And so the public, uh, ordinary people, um, can access uh, the Internet and put whatever data they want onto it. Um, and the, what, we've got, what we've got to avoid is the prospect of massive telecom giants creating a two-tiered or multi-tiered Internet where they artificially slow down the transmission rate in order to sell the faster rate to those who are willing to pay for it and leave everybody else in the slow lane. Um, but the, uh, what, uh, what has happened with corp- corporate media is largely the media is reflecting fewer and fewer interests, largely the interests of the owners of media corporation. Now, what I advocate for in the book is for democratic media, which is media that is owned by as many people as possible um, and uh, expresses the interests of as many people as possible. So what we end up with is with media diversity, many points of view, and, um, uh, and for people to actually have an opportunity to engage in political speech, uh, and which is vitally important, especially during campaigns and elections. Yeah, well, let's talk about the campaign and election. How do we? Well, what's your? How do we? What do we do? How do we? Yeah, I mean, what kind of? I mean, I, I I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, I watch CNN, I watch MSNBC. To tell you the truth, I don't watch Fox Media, but I sometimes maybe on. I can, you know 
five times a year, perhaps that's it. So you know, I pick and choose what media I want to listen to, which I think most of us do. But yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So take the campaign, for instance. What do you suggest that we do so that we have a, a well-rounded picture? I guess is what you're saying of what's happening, and 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 have some kind of uh, I don't know evidence-based uh, information to go on. Well, I mean, well, for example, there, there are uh, two main two main things that the uh, democratic media helps with with political campaigns. One is that uh, people can uh, better monitor the political process itself, um, have a better understanding of it, and um, uh, see who the major players are for themselves, which leads to an informed electorate, which is the cornerstone of a democracy. Um, uh, second, it allows people through grassroots campaigning um, to uh, promote the uh, uh, grassroots candidates. So people aren't necessarily dependent on massive corporate donations in order to get elected, and people can get elected through grassroots campaigning. Um, this is particularly important at the district level and allows for um, local candidates who represent local interests to be elected to public office. And I, this, is what, this is what is needed for a healthy democracy. So talk to us specifically about this election and the candidates. Um, in what sense? Well, in the sense that, okay, we have, um, well, actually, let's take the Republican candidate, you know, the, the, the I guess, the, the three viable candidates, or the now, I guess, the two viable candidates. How do they fit into this, this kind of um, Glenn Beck model, or do they? Oh, you mean with the the the, the current uh, media circus uh, regarding yeah, the, the, uh, media circus is the GOP with the primaries? Yeah, well, I mean it's pretty clear that Mitt Romney has a nom- has a nomination, and the rest of these candidates are just have just been fielded um, in order um, to be so extreme they're practically tripping over their tongues to out extreme the other to make uh, Mitt Romney seem to be the reasonable and sane candidate in comparison. Um, the, the, um, um, but it, it's pretty clear that Romney has the nomination. And I have to admit that um, as, a, as a result of uh, watching much of this media circus, two words sprang to mind, and that was second term. I mean, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that, there's, uh, there's, uh, the, uh, the, that it seems that every single day I see more and more evidence of the GOP candidates um, trying to alienate as many voters as possible. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, uh, it's, it, if, you, if you can see it, if I can see it, and most of friends and people that, you know, just lay people that I know who see this, it, you said the word, media circus. Where did that come hmm. from? How did the, I mean, uh, how did the Republican Party come to present these three or four candidates over all of these months in a media circus. I mean, is, that's not good for our democracy, is it? No, not, not, not at all. In fact, I, I've, uh, it, but the, but the, the, thing, the thing is, it's all, it's, um, the appearance is that the GOP doesn't expect to win. So, um, uh, so uh, uh, basically what it, what it seems to be is that they're at, at, at the current stage, uh, trying to distract the electorate from the extremely important issues, and, and in many respects, this is, what, this is why we're seeing this um, uh, massive attack on uh, women's rights and minority rights going on. What, why is it? Why, I mean, from your, uh, what is your take on that? Why are they trying to distract 
the general population or the, the people, us, from the important issues? What, what's the reason? Well, I, I don't think they have any genuine solutions. So they're um, they're, they're they're trying to uh, basically scare scare the hell out of people. Um, and uh, so I think I think the general strategy is so when they finally give um, uh, officially give uh, Mitt Romney the nomination, everyone breathes a sigh of relief that he isn't one of the other candidates. And then he will probably lose to Obama in the uh, national election. So he's the better of the, or uh, he's the lesser of the three or four evils. Is that it? Is that? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, so, well, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, if only he could keep his mouth shut, um, he would seem actually the sane and reasonable candidate by uh, by comparison. But the but the, but the thing is, is that the. Uh, 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 this, this is this is all this is all serving to keep uh, people focused away from the main issues that are that are facing the country and the rest of the world, which is how to move America forward in terms of the economy, in terms of uh, its social uh, infrastructure, and um, uh, and into a peaceful future. But I get back to the same question. Why would the Republican Party, I mean, I keep saying um, it would be nice, it would be a good thing for our country, for our democracy, if we had two viable candidates, or if we had, well, let's just take the Republican nomination. If you had three substantial people out there presenting, you know, the, the issues at hand or the issues we should be talking about, I, I guess I, I just can't grasp why the Republican Party would want to have this media circus, and, 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 and I would think that even somebody like Mitt Romney knows that he needs to be talking about the issues, and he's talking about all this other stuff. Um, I, I, I can't quite, that's why I keep going back and asking you that question. What's the purpose of this? Well, I, I just don't think they have any uh, solutions. So they're, um, uh, they're basically, they become the party of obstruction. So they're, um, uh, this is all part and parcel of their overall strategy. I think they've acknowledged and accepted that Obama's getting the second term. So they um, uh, are basic, basically setting, uh, setting themselves up for that second term, to be the party of opposition. Well, and, your... <laughs> um, because otherwise they, would have, uh, they certainly would have picked a better bunch of candidates to, uh, to run against Obama. Yeah, I thought you were going to say a better bunch of characters, but uh, <laughs> characters... Well, are... characters, candidates, I mean, it's... It's true either way. Um, uh, I, I mean, you, they, you, what, they, they, my, they seem to spend most of their time trying to alienate as many people as possible. Yeah, but then there are a lot of people. Let's take those people who they don't alienate, who seem to jump on the bandwagon with them. What does that say about the American public or the American people? Who are the people that um, they are well, able well, to engage? Well, I, I don't necessarily think the loudest voices um, represent uh, the majority. Um, but uh, yeah, they've certainly, certainly, they've certainly lashed into a section of the population. But those, that section of the population would either vote Republican or not vote. So it, it really, it really doesn't. Uh, it, it hasn't changed the, the, the outcome of the election at all. What they're doing, um, they, uh, they, they are just, just, just basically trying to keep people as distracted from uh, the fact that uh, they have no solutions whatsoever. So it's they're probably they're a distraction. The same, the same old they, formula. The, 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 what would you call? And is part of this distraction like this now? This war on women. I mean, is that part of the distraction? Oh, I, I believe so. Uh, I believe so. I mean, the, 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 
Um, and it's disgraceful what they're doing, by the way. I, I, I want to add out. It's, um, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're taking what well, well, effectively half of the American population, and they're basically holding a gun over their head and saying um, uh, that, uh, that at any time they can pass outrageous laws, many of which are unconstitutional, um, to effectively oppress uh, women in, in this country. And this, this, this is this demonstrates the, the fact that they actually have no solutions whatsoever to Americans' problems. These are all non-issues. Most of these laws will, will either not get passed or get thrown out by the court. I feel, you know, I mean, as a, and I don't mind saying it, I mean, I've, uh, um, I'm a Democrat and, and um, I happen to like our president and, and what he's doing, but um, I feel duped. You know, when you have, I mean, we are a two-party system, and I, I keep getting back to this, and we have this Republican Party that, as you say, it's a, it's a media circus. All they're doing is distracting us because they don't have solutions. Uh, and I still get back to there must be some leaders in that, you know, as Republicans. And isn't it a waste of our time and our money and our democratic process to have this 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 kind of a, a circus when it comes to our election or our electoral process? I completely agree with you. I think that's right. I mean, the, and this is where a, uh, a more democratic public media comes into play because they're here. It would um, a, a, dem- a democratic media, a media that by that I mean a media that anyone and everyone with um, uh, a computer and uh, internet access can use, um, and also with uh, with radio and public radio. And I was very excited by the um, FCC decision on Monday to allow more community radio stations um, to be opened up uh, to the public. Um, here we actually have uh, uh, the opportunity for uh, third-party and independent candidates to um, uh, have a, a reach to their constituents or prospective constituents and run for public office. And I think that that offers the opportunity for more diversity in the political process. Um, I, I- and 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 this is this is this is why where I think that actually corporate media um, uh, needs to be counterbalanced because what you've got is a situation where uh, millions and millions of dollars are required to run for public office. I mean, uh, the presidency itself is likely to run into billions of dollars of expenditure on the election, and uh, and and most people most people the vast majority of people don't even get a look in with that kind of um, when that kind of money is at stake. And this is why uh, a democratic public access media is very important for more and more people to engage in the political process. I mean, the, the uh, American Revolution is an experiment in self-governance. This requires people to participate in the political process. And this can't be done when the media is controlled by very few people for the benefit of very few people. Well, as you said earlier, I think the with the internet that's changed everything. Which I mean, I which is yes, a good thing. indeed, and yeah. this is why it's vitally important to protect net neutrality. This is why people must um, pressure politicians and the FCC to defend net neutrality. Um, once the internet is uh, basically handed over to the telecom giants, then it will just turn into an avenue for shopping, gossip, and pornography. Yeah. <laughs> All the ills of our society. You know, we have a few minutes left. 
and you are obviously in academia, a professor of philosophy. Talk to us about what's the response, of because you have a very young group of people there, I assume, undergraduates, graduates. What's their response to this election? Um, well, it's, it's, it seems that, um, uh, I, I mean, most, most people just seem to be utterly appalled, in my experience, at, uh, at what the um, uh, GOP candidates are saying. It seems almost on a daily basis they're, they're finding a, a, a new group of people that they'd hitherto forgotten yeah. <laughs> to come out and outrage. I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's like the, the, the only thing that they managed to achieve um, in the visit to Puerto Rico, for example, was how to offend Puerto Ricans. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it's like they, they, you know, they, they, instead of turning up and dealing with the problems that are facing, say, Puerto Rico, they come out and immediately tell Puerto Ricans which language they should speak. I mean, it, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like it's choreographed to offend people. And, and people are noticing this. It's, it's, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't uh, uh, bypassed people's attention that increasingly the GOP candidates seem to be attacking Americans. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about what's our reputation abroad. I mean, how do we, you know, how do the, what is the, is the rest of the world, because now they have access to seeing this because of the Internet, so it's a whole global international uh, discourse, I guess. And, uh, you know, what's the response? It doesn't sit well, I would think, with the rest of the global community either, if they're looking at to us as leaders. Or well, as if the, if, if, if the thing is with the Republican Party, which is li- uh, largely comprised of conservatives, neoconservatives, libertarians, um, the uh, evangelical Christian right, and uh, corporatists, um, it, uh, and, and also uh, there's a few extreme outright fascists amongst them. But but it, even uh, in, in, in any European country, the GOP would be in fact five political parties at least, maybe six. Um, there's no way that in other countries around the world they'd be able to hang together all of these disparate groups of people. Uh, and so, uh, the, but I mean, in, in any uh, in any election, about uh, uh, 25% of the electorate will vote for their political party, no matter what their party does and what their party says. So, the 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 other half half of their voters will either vote for that party or not vote. And so, really, elections just come down to the small percentage of swing voters. Yeah. So, in um, this country, and, it's and I think that the the GOP have gone. Um, completely to the extreme, and have alienated all of those possible voters. Mm-hmm. Well, good. <laughs> We're going to have to say goodbye on that note because we only have about a minute left, and I want to mention to my listeners, uh, obviously, the title of your book again, Debunking Glenn Beck, How to Save America from Media Pundits and Propagandists by Carl Rogers, Ph.D. Uh, and uh, we can buy the book at uh, Amazon.com. Online, yeah, or from, or from the publisher, or from, from your uh, public library. Terrific! Thank you very much for being on the show this morning. All right, thanks very much. Great, Dr. Rogers, Dr. Carl Rogers. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to uh, the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Hope you had a good morning. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.